So Christmas, this is my Christmas, uh, this is how I, when I think about Christmas, we think about, you know, joy to the world, go to the next slide, we're not going to sing this, you know, all, all the warm fuzzies of Christmas and uh, blah, 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 all right, I'm not saying, I'm not blah, blah in Christmas, I'm not saying that, but you know, when Christmas comes, we think about uh, friends, family, gathering together. Uh, we think about Jesus, of course. I mean, I'm not saying that as an obvious thing. We think about Bethlehem, and this is my 61st Christmas, but then we hit a Christmas, and then it's done, and we wait till next year. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the joy to the world and things like that, but um, if you're like me, more, and most of us, I think, would, we have expectations for what Christmas is going to be like, and usually it never meets the expectation. This side of heaven, it's not going to meet the expectations. So Christmas is one word I was thinking about when I was weeks ago thinking about this, you know, season and what to preach about. But the other word that kept coming in my mind, and it feels like a competing word, go to the next slide, it's the word revival. So it's like, and here's the song that I've been listening to a lot lately that makes me think about this. So we'll go to the next song. Go, put the words up there. So I have this competing thing of, okay, how does Christmas and revival go together? Because revival, when you think of that word, when I think of that word, and it's kind of, I'll just say it's been impressed upon me lately. And I'm, not, I'm saying that because I think God has put it in my, in, in, on my screen in big print. And this song about revival, and I'm, so when you think about revival, maybe we have all these different, uh, maybe thoughts in our minds. I remember walking by a church one time, had on their signboard, Revival this week. And I remember thinking to myself, maybe I was a little bit cynical. I was wondering if they invited the Holy Spirit to come. Because, <laughs> you know, growing up, we had revival services, which usually meant a loud preacher, a lot of emotion, and, uh, you know, things happening, but then life just went on. But when, when you read about revival in the Bible or revival in history, I've been reading a lot lately about the Cane Ridge Revival. Ever heard of the Cane Ridge Revival? All right. Cane Ridge is in Kentucky, so there are good things that can come out of Kentucky. No offense if you're a Kentucky fan, but Cane Ridge, it was like the early 1800s. It was 20,000 people gathering outside for like these, they first promoted it as this mass communion service. They included Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians. They were expecting a few thousand, then they thought there might be 10,000. There were 20,000 people gathered in this one place for a number of days. And you read about uh, people who were uh, just had all kinds of experiences with the Holy Spirit. And if you're like me, you kind of read like, oh, that seems kind of weird. You know, people were crying or yelling out and things like that. And people who were part of the church had their lives cleaned up because the Holy Spirit revealed things to them. And people who had no interest in church, because at that time in the uh, settling of the U.S., a lot of people were, you know, the settlers didn't, they, people who didn't, weren't interested in church all of a sudden had experiences with God. So I read about that, and actually, 
believe it or not, some of the first churches in Bloomington, Indiana, were planted because somebody from the Cane Druid Revival felt God was calling them to come to Bloomington, and they started some churches. So we have a little bit of a heritage there. But I, I think about this idea of revival and what does that mean, how that go to fit with Christmas. So the next few weeks, here's the sermon series, Christmas Revival. All right, how, and, and what does it mean? And if I put in other words on here, I'd say let's pray for a Christmas revival. And by, by that I'm saying I want, us to experience, I want to experience Christmas. I want to experience the, the Jesus of Christmas. But at the same time, I don't want this Christmas to be like all of the Christmases. Not that they're all bad, but I want to see God do something in our lives. I think we all do. I mean, it's easy at Christmas to kind of go back. Let's think about Bethlehem and baby in the manger and, you know, joy to the world and all the songs we sing, which are good. But we forget that Christmas and even like next week is the official start of Advent. And Advent is not even a biblical concept. It's something in church history. But the Sundays of Advent, Advent literally means the coming. So it's kind of anticipating the coming of Jesus. And Advent historically is the coming of Jesus and we kind of end up at Bethlehem. But really, Advent also is this sense of we're expecting him coming again. Not even just at the end of time when he comes again, the Bible talks about, but when he comes again in powerful ways in our lives, like the Holy Spirit did at Pentecost, or the Holy Spirit did in many times throughout the Bible where you see revival happening among God's people. Or you see, I, I printed this off, I found a site, what internet site, there was somebody researched revivals, and they had like a couple hundred revivals from around the world for the last number of years. Number of centuries, I mean, like Indonesia, the United States, they had Cane Ridge Revival, Kentucky, the Welsh Revival in 1859 in Great Britain, and all these revivals. And when I read those, it's similar to when I read the book of Acts, it's kind of like, can this happen again? Can this happen again where the Holy Spirit gets the attention of God's people in such a way that jolts something and something new begins to happen? And we can't manufacture that. We can't, we can't spin the wheels on that. We can't just hype up emotion and make that happen. But there is something that God can do. And it, like I said, when I read the book of Acts, or I've read through all these, I haven't read about all the revivals this, in the different books I've read, but I've read about a number of them. And I think, God, can you do that again? Can you do that again in my life? Can you do that again in the lives of people? You all know people who don't go to church, who have no interest in God. I have neighbors like that. I teach a couple classes at IU, and I have students. I love them, but I can, they're, just, they're, they're lost, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. They just, they're trying to figure out life, and they're trying to figure out life without God, and it's just a hard journey that way because you can't do it. You can't do it in a way that leads you to joy. You can survive. So I think about my neighbors, think about people, I, students I'm around, and I think, God, could you, do, could you do something like that again? Um, after Cain Ridge, the revival, a number of places would get gathered to pray, and their prayer was, God, can you, can you do what you did at Cain Ridge? And again, the sense is not we're trying to repeat things, we're trying to stir up things. It's just asking God, can you do something where something in us is revived? Reviving, when you revive somebody, you know, it's like, they revived somebody in the hospital. It's somebody who was dead who's now alive. Somebody who was dead and they're now alive. That's revival. So revival, I would give the, the, the definition of the word revival I'll give, and we'll talk about this in a minute from Isaiah chapter 9. 
Revival is anything that God does supernaturally in the lives of believers and the lives of non-believers to help them see God more clearly. It's supernatural. Revival is always supernatural. It's always God doing something. And I'm saying, I'm saying in us, the church, first. I mean, I, yeah, we can pray for a revival in America, but America is not God's people. The church is God's people. So the starting place for revival is right here with me, the pastor, and you, the people of the church. It's us. We need to be revived. And you might say, and I might say, well, I'm, a, I'm already a Christian, but I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. But according to the Bible, if we're following Jesus, we are fully alive, awake, and free. On a scale of 1 to 100, if 100 is fully alive, awake, and free, I'm guessing most of us are maybe hovering around 50 or 60. We're, none of us are 100. I'm not fully alive, awake, and free. So I think, okay, God, what, do you, what can you do in my life? What about these, my neighbors? What about these students I know? What about other friends I know who, you know, we have friends of our sons from high school friends. And I'm not even saying, I'm like, they don't know Jesus, and they don't seem to even be interested in church. And I'm not even saying getting them to church is the answer. What the answer is is getting the Holy Spirit in them. And how does that happen? What's our role in that? Because we can't, like I said, we can't manufacture it. So I'm talking about this series is going to be called A Christmas Revival. We're going to pray for a Christmas revival. And I'll just give you a little bit of a head, 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 heads up on this. Even after Christmas, we might talk more about revival, and mainly from biblical passages and biblical examples. But the passage we're going to look at today is from Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to stay on that, this passage or use this as a, a rubric for the next few weeks. Because Isaiah chapter 9, go back one more time, I'm sorry. The, the, yeah. Uh, this is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Actually, read this out loud with me, all right? Ready? One, two, three. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. All right. Revival. People walking in darkness have seen this great light. And this is, this is talking about Jesus. This is talking about the initial revival of Christmas where something happened that was supernatural, and the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. But that great light continues. It didn't just happen in Bethlehem. It wasn't just a one-night thing. That was nice. We come to celebrate the one night where the big star. No, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. It's a continuous thing. That's what revival of the Holy Spirit is. So we're going to look at uh, Isaiah 9. We'll talk about this. So now go to the next slide. And if you have your little on your seat, you should have some of the scripture here. We'll look at that in a second. So Isaiah chapter 8 and 9, again, this is Christmas revival, all right? Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 takes place about 800 B.C. or so, so 2,800 years ago, give or take, uh, the prophet Isaiah. And if you see on this, just to give a context, uh, at that time, if just Israel, God's people were often, for the old, most of the Old Testament were separated into the the northern half was the country of Israel. The southern half was the country of Judah. There was a split. They were divided. They had different kings. Judah is where Jerusalem was. Israel was the northern half. But there was always often conflict. So Israel and Judah. But then you can see up in the upper right, Assyria. Assyria is modern-day Syria, modern-day Iran, modern-day Turkey. And they were the big dogs in history then. There was always a fear, and at that time, a really close what real and present danger of the Assyrians coming in and taking over. They were already doing that, so 
Isaiah is writing at a time where everybody is scared to death of the Assyrians because uh, they're coming. And to add this, you get the sense in the book of Isaiah, God was behind the Assyrians coming. It was because God wanted his people to wake up because they'd been stuck in idolatry, even like simple idolatries, but idolatry is idolatry. And you and I probably are more involved in that than we understand. But it's like God sometimes allows difficulty to get us to turn back to him. And it sounds like harsh of God, but God is always good to us. We said that at the beginning of the service. God is good. He's good. He's always good to us. And sometimes he's trying to wake us up. And so, so Isaiah writes in that context, all right? So the first part of Isaiah, uh, the, of the, on your, look on your little purple sheet now or whatever, purple, with, purple stripe. Now go to the next slide. So the first part is, is the last part of Isaiah 8. And this is what Isaiah writes, all right? Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Wow, really, you know, Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> so, but he's talking about this, what's happening in their culture, what's happening with the Assyrian threat, and what's happening generally with just the disobedience of God's people. Now, we don't have, I mean, we could always say they're, you know, foreign threats, but again, when God speaks of his people, he's not speaking of America. Right? It's, the, it's the church. He speaks of his church. So, yeah, there's China, there's Russia, there's all kinds of things. That's not at all what we think about now. We think about the enemies of the church and the way that things can start shutting us down and sending us into distress, darkness, gloom, and despair. And it's, I'm not talking about politics either. The answer to the world's problems is not having a better election for whatever your candidates are next time. That's not the answer to the world's problems. You know that, and I know that. If all your candidates were elected, every single one you wanted, the world will not be a happier, joyful, peaceful place, and neither will you. So, yes, we vote you know, for good citizens or whatever, but let's, let's not even all put hope in that. And the answer is not having bigger and better church services or more music and better PowerPoints or whatever, better preaching or whatever. The answer to all this is the Holy Spirit doing something. So this, these, these words here, distress, darkness, gloom, and despair, you might say, well, that sounds kind of depressing. But if you're honest and I'm honest, those things show up in my life occasionally. I'm discouraged about something. I mean, Satan's really good at creating these kind of things in our life. Distress, darkness, gloom, despair, discouragement, deception, death. Satan's really good at that. And we're able to kind of keep it down because the Holy Spirit's in us, because he does do good things in us. But yet, sometimes those things hang around more than we want them to. And we don't know what to do about it, because we keep thinking, well, I know I'm a new creature in Christ, so I shouldn't be feeling that way, but I do. So what do I do with that? There's something wrong with me. Is there something wrong with God? Is Christianity really not what it's all pent up to be? So what do I do? So then they'll be, look forward to the earth and see only distress and darkness, fearful gloom. They'll be thrust into utter darkness. All right? Now, verse 1 of chapter 9 is in yellow. The one, the one word. I'm going to count to three, but we're all going to say that word out loud. All right? One, two, three, nevertheless. One more time. One, two, three, nevertheless. All right? That's the revival word. Things aren't going well. 
God's people in, Nehemiah, in uh, Isaiah's case were given to little idolatries, big idolatries. There was external fear. There was internal, uh, you know, falling away. And then Isaiah said, but nevertheless, in spite of that, nevertheless, I mean, we are nevertheless kind of people. That's what the Spirit of God is. We are nevertheless kind of people. No matter what's happening around us, the Spirit of God in, in us says, nevertheless, here's what, can, here's what I can do. God says that. Here's what I can do. Nevertheless. No matter what's going on around you, even one of the psalmists talks about there's a thousand are falling at your right hand and ten thousand on your left hand. You're going to walk through that and not be harmed because nevertheless, the Spirit of God is with you. Nevertheless. So the, Isaiah writes this, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, he's talking about areas in, in Israel and Judah, will be humbled. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, right, where was Jesus from? Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Then read verse 2 out loud with me, all right? Here we go, one, two, three. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness... A light will shine. That's Christmas revival right there. Those who are walking in darkness will see a great light. Those who are living in the shadow of deep darkness, a light's going to dawn. And let me just be clear, this is spoken to two different groups of people. Because we tend to think, it's easy for us to think, it's easy for me to think, wow, it's for those people I know that don't know Jesus. My neighbors, people I have, students I have in class. But first and foremost, it's for us. It's, it is humbling to say, but we all walk in darkness. None of us, none of us are 100% alive, awake, and free, so let's acknowledge there's probably things in our life that if God had complete full attention of us to shine on light on something, he would say, deal with this in your life. Not that God's harsh, not that he's always looking for things to point out and say, wrong, 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 wrong. But when he says people walking in darkness have seen a great light, there's times where there might be light shown to you that God shows you something, and you're like, oh, I've got to deal with that. So let's let, yes, it's talking about revival of many people coming to know Jesus, friends, family, that you know. But yes, the revival of Christmas is first and foremost God's people, not America. <laughs> but God's people in the church, around the world, the church. People have the Holy Spirit in them. People walking in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. The next verses I'm just going to read out loud. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. So go to the one that has rejoice on it. Yeah, uh, the next slide, I think. So now he's talking about rejoicing. If people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder. And then you'll see the things that God does in our lives when the great light comes upon the darkness and the nevertheless gets kicked in because the Holy Spirit's coming, all right? Holy Spirit's active. Here's what, he ha here's what happens. Verse 4, saying this to God, you will break the yoke of their slavery. You will lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. All right, so what does God do when the light shines in darkness? What does God do when nevertheless 
gets kicked into action. He breaks the yoke of our slaveries. And if you're like me, you might be like the Pharisee said to Jesus, we're not slaves to anybody. I'm not a slave to anything. But Jesus said to them, no, you are. You're a slave to things. And until I can set you free, you're a slave to certain things in your life. And there are, there's, I'm sure there's, we're all, I mean, there's things we're slaves to. There's, there's addictions. There's things we know we, God was told us to stop doing or things we're not doing that God wants us to do, and we choose not to because we're slaves to a certain way of life. I'm a slave to a certain way of life. I want my life, I want my life to be comfortable. If there was an idol label of comfort, I'd be over there bowing down to it, right? And maybe you would all be with me. We want comfort. We don't, I don't want difficulty. I don't want discomfort. But you read the Bible, and it's like the, the pathway to joy and peace and fullness of life seemed that God would take people through discomfort. Not like he's inflicting pain on purpose, but he's trying to refine things. So, so first question when you think about Christmas revival, is there anything that maybe you've been... Maybe you even stopped asking God to set you free from certain slavers in your life. Don't stop asking for that. Maybe over Christmas, be even more intense in asking for that. And maybe there's somebody you know, friends, family members, Christians, maybe not Christians, who you know, they're, they have slavery in their life going on. Their addictions, their certain ways of doing life, and maybe your prayer for them intensifies during Christmas. Because you're expecting, you're adventing, you're expecting the com coming of Jesus in their lives to break the hold in their life. Maybe you have kids, parents, siblings who have walked away from God. And you're praying, maybe over Christmas you pray more intensely that, that God will break the heaviness of slavery in their life. Or the next thing he says, they lift the heavy burden. I mean, heavy burden is kind of this sense of, even in, G in Jesus talked in the Gospels, come to me all you who are labor heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. That's a lot of us probably. Whether you call it depression, whether you call it just I'm down or whatever, there's heavy burdens we bear that we aren't meant to bear, we're meant to trust God with, but we still try to bear it and we hang on to it. Maybe it's the burden of like in Jesus' day, it was the burden of looking more religious than we know we are because we've got to go through these religious motions, but we don't find the rest that Jesus promises us. Or maybe it's just a burden you feel like you've had for a while. Maybe it's an emotional thing, a mental health thing, and you can't seem to shake it. Maybe this is the time of year to pray that the darkness you're experiencing, that God will blast the light in there and help you see next steps for fullness of life with him. Or maybe you pray that for somebody else you know. Family members, kids, siblings, parents, neighbors. Maybe you just know, not maybe. I mean, we all know somebody who is heavy burdened in life right now. And you know and I know the only solution really is the spirit of God coming into their lives not that it can't be helpful for them to have therapy and counseling, but and those things are helpful. But ultimately, if the Spirit of God doesn't light up something in their spirits, um, they're not going to have the fullness of life that Jesus promised. And maybe you pray for somebody that way during this Christmas time. All right? And the third one is breaking the oppressor's right. And again, we're not talking about, you know, Democrats or Republicans or Russia or Iran or Muslim extremists or whatever, we're talking about.
the, the oppressor of our souls is Satan. He's always accusing us. Always accusing us. He's always saying things to us that he's oppressing us. He's trying to get us to turn our eyes away from God. And, and maybe our prayer during Christmas is uh, looking to God for freedom from the lies of the enemy that he continues to, to spew out in our ears. I mean, I, you don't hear, none of us probably hear voices, but there's times you, if you find yourself in this self-condemnation, self-condemning thoughts, that's not God. God, God convicts of sin. He doesn't lead you into self-condemnation. That's the voice of the enemy. So if you find yourself living in a self-condemning world and you're always having negative things about yourself that you're saying to yourself, it's not God. And if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, it's not you. There's a third party involved that's, that's oppressing loudly and strongly into your heart and your mind. And it's, it's Satan. He's telling us things. He's accusing us of things. The Bible says he stands before God day and night accusing us. That's, that's heavy. But Jesus comes to break the oppressor's rod. And again, it's not magic. It's not like we got to pray. No, he, he, we pray that the Holy Spirit can break through and show, shine light on things that we're like, oh, I, I, I see that. Now, it's like a spiritual aha moment. I mean, I, I used to teach junior high. John, John teaches junior high now. Much of his dis, dismay, I think, maybe, I don't know. But there's times where I'm sure when John's teaching, a student will be like, oh, I get it, Mr. Kensick. I get it. Maybe, hopefully they do. Kind of the aha moment. John's like, no, not with me. Not, in, not with Mike Jr. But there's those moments of, ah, I, I get it. And you've, you've all had that when you've been learning something. You're learning how to work your television or whatever. Oh, I get it. It's the aha moment. All right. But I think God does that in a spiritual way. We're like, oh, I, I get it. And it's not because you've read more about it. It's because God... Pfft, a great light shines up, and you're like, oh, I, I see this now. And it happens because we ask God for it. It doesn't happen just coincidentally. It happens because somebody's praying. So, let's rejoice because part of the revival that happens when this light shines in darkness is that the, the oppressor's rod is broken, our heavy burdens are lifted, and the deep darkness leaves us. So, again, you might say, as I say to myself, okay, why is that not happening? And sometimes I think God says to us, and I've said this to me, God might say, because you're not asking. It's not like God's tit for tad. It's not like he's looking for some special formula. Sometimes we ask. Sometimes we don't ask because we've stopped asking. I mean, Jeremiah 33, God says, ask me and I'll show you great and marvelous things you don't know. Just ask me. So go to the next slide. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to pray. Simple, simple, simple. I'm, I'm really being into one-line prayers. You, if you've been around Exodus, you know that. So... Maybe your prayer over the next weeks, hopefully not just to Christmas, beyond Christmas, a simple prayer, God, will you revive my heart? Will you revive it? You know, my heart's not 100% alive, awake, and free. There's parts of it that must be deadened at least. 
maybe not dead, but deadened or numb. God, will you revive those parts of my heart? Even parts I don't know need reviving. That's part of the issue sometimes. We don't even know it. We're so used to living at 85% heart capacity that we don't even know there's 15% that God wants to wake up. God wants to shine great light on. But we don't even, we've, we've kind of, maybe sometimes we live at 40% capacity and we're like, ah, the other 60%. It's not really kind of responding to God, but I'm okay. Well, don't be okay with that. Ask. God revived my heart. You know, I, nevertheless, you said something can change. Revive my heart. Revive me and give life to it. There's a psalm that, God, that the psalmist even says, God, revive our hearts again. Revive our hearts again. But then, but then if you're thinking about somebody you want to pray for, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's somebody who follows Jesus, maybe it's somebody who used to but doesn't anymore, maybe it's somebody who doesn't, period. Your prayer for them can just be, God, will you revive Sally's heart? God, would you revive, I mean, my four kids. God, would you revive Gretchen's heart? Would you revive Mark's heart? Would you revive Allison's heart and David's heart? No, they're, they're in good places spiritually, but I know they're not 100% alive, awake, and free, so I'll pray for them. Or I can pray for people I don't know who, who I know who don't know Jesus at all. God, will you revive their heart? Will you just shine a bright light so they see things about Jesus they've never seen before? Would, so two really, really simple prayers I want to encourage you. You'll hear these every week. I'll talk about these every week. And we'll look, look at different parts of the book of Isaiah that are all talking about the coming of Jesus. Because the coming of Jesus was a, not just a really cool Bethlehem moment, Hallmark Christmas special thing. It was a nevertheless moment where something changed dramatically in the universe and in the hearts of people. Because darkness now has light shining in it unexplained other than supernatural involvement. Darkness now has light shining in it. And you can pray that way. So God revived my heart. Actually, just repeat that. We're not, we're not doing it in the spirit of prayer right now, but repeat this with a one, two, three. God revived my heart. All right? God revived my heart. Now I want you to think of somebody. I'm going to close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want you to think of somebody that you want God to revive their heart, all right? And I just want you to, we're going to say that prayer only loud enough. You, I want you to say it in a whisper so you can hear it yourself, but nobody else needs to hear it. But now I want us to pray this in a sense. So I'm going to say one, two, three, and God revive. So if I'm going to pray for Mark, God revive Mark's heart, all right? So think of somebody to put in that blank and uh, whisper out loud so you can hear it. One, two, three, go, God God, our, our, our prayer is that you would revive our hearts, revive my heart, parts of my heart that maybe I've long, long just forgotten about, or long, long ago lost hope that it would, could be brought back to life. I'm grateful, God, for the parts of all of our hearts that are fully alive to you, but we're also acknowledging there's parts of our hearts that we've maybe just either neglected or out of discouragement, just forgot about. 
So God, I pray for all of us here that you would revive our hearts. You would bring light in those dark, hidden, maybe even forgotten about places in our hearts. And then God, like you just heard from everybody here praying for someone we know and love, that you would revive their heart. And in saying that, God, we know what we're asking for is you to supernaturally intervene because that's, that's why we're even here today. We believe that you supernaturally intervene in our lives. We believe we need supernatural enablement to be the kind of people you designed us to be, and that's fully alive with your spirit in us. We can't, we can't manufacture that. We can't make ourselves smart enough to do that without your Holy Spirit. So Jesus, would you revive us would you open up the dark places of our heart? Would you uh, bring us hope and healing? Because some of those dark places of our hearts, God, we know we need healing. They may be dark because they're wounded. They may be dark because they've been traumatized by other people. And even to go there for any of us is hard because we don't want to revisit that, but God, you can bring healing to that part of our hearts. So when you're in your work of reviving, in your work of shining light in dark places, you don't just bring conviction of sin, which we need that in the areas where you need to do that for us, but you also bring healing. You bring hope. You bring encouragement to our hearts. So, God, however you need to revive our hearts, revive us. Um, we love you. Um, go to the next slide, Kristen. This is leading into communion. Because also, in the very end of this passage, if you look in verse, eight, verse 6, for a child is born to us. So this whole nevertheless light and darkness is because Jesus comes into the world, right? Child is born to us. It's not because oh, we just got a little smarter, we're going to figure this out. It's not because um, the right people got voted into office. It's not because uh, I'm now figured out a different way to handle my problems and I've got a new strategy. No, it's because there's a child born to us. For unto us a child is born and the rest of the son is given. I can't remember how this version says it. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Maybe we should read that phrase many times during the election, whenever elections happen. The government will rest on his shoulders. God doesn't care about who's in charge of the government of America, but the government of the world will rest on the shoulders of Jesus. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's why we gather on Sundays, because there's a child born who was this nevertheless reality of God that brought stunning brightness into a dark world and still does because Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit which is his spirit which does the exact same thing that Isaiah talked about 2800 years ago he breaks strongholds he breaks chains he breaks oppressors pressing words against you and he lifts burdens so we do this every Sunday at Exodus we take communion and we do that because Jesus is always the center, of what we, the center of what we do. The center of what we do on Sundays is not uh, preaching or music. It's supernatural reality of Jesus in us, bringing light into darkness, 
bringing healing into pain, bringing hope into discouragement. All right? That's why we do this. So Aaron, Aaron's going to come up and lead us in a song, and then we'll uh, take communion here in a second. Because Jesus said, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember me. Well, there's all kinds of things we can remember about Jesus. And it's good to remember all kinds of different things. But maybe this Sunday we remember that he came to bring light and darkness in us. He came to break the oppressor's ride. He came to lift heavy burdens. That's what he came to do. And his promise doesn't fail. So uh, let this, when you take today, maybe what we remember is he came to set me free. Free from oppression, free from slavery, addictions, free from heavy burdens. Um, that's, maybe that's our Christmas revival prayer. God, revive us. Bring me, set me free, bring me healing, bring me hope. All right? So Aaron, come on up here and uh, lead us. And I'll pray, and then we'll take. And what we do at Exodus, we don't dismiss by a rose. You just come on up as you feel led to. Anybody's welcome as the Spirit of Christ in them. Uh, scripture would all say anybody's welcome who's not intentionally giving God a straight arm. I don't say that often, but it's just good to remind. If you're intentionally resisting God in something, it's your well-being not to take until you deal with that with God. But uh, if, if you're broken and weary and struggling, then you're welcome here. Everybody's welcome here, all right? Um, this is for anybody who needs the supernatural investment of Jesus in your heart, all right? So Jesus, we're grateful that you did this for us. You're grateful, grateful that uh, you're the God of nevertheless. You're the God of brightness and darkness. You're of God of hope when there's despair. You're of God, you're the God of healing when there's brokenness. So Jesus, when you gave your body and you shed your blood, you did it to break open this whole new reality where light shines on us in ways we can't even understand. And we see things about you and about God and about us that set us free. So Jesus, we take this in gratitude to you, in honor of you, um, because there is no one like you. Isaiah even said that 2,800 years ago before he even knew who you were. By the Spirit, he knew there was going to be a child born that would change the entire course of human events. And Jesus, you alone are the one who can do that. And we love you. And we ask this on your name. Amen.